CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. This is Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. And on today's episode, we're going to discuss things that cost (laughs) $250,000. Trust us, there's a method to our madness. The following things cost about $250,000. Number one, some lucky guy out there can buy 5,000 rompers. Rompers! Now, are we really starting this show off talking about rompers? (laughs) I wish we didn't, but we did. (laughs) Number two, a new 2017 Ferrari 458 Italia. Our second favorite car to hypothetically drive off a cliff. (laughs) Number three. Get this. We can get 15 minutes of Beyonce's time for $250,000. Only? Only $250,000? I've never wanted to be rich, but I do now. Well, you're already rich in spirit, Mike. All right. Okay. What are are we getting at here? Obviously, lots of things cost $250,000. Yeah, lots of silly things, but also some things more near and dear to our hearts. Did you know it costs nearly $250,000 to raise one child for 18 years? And that's just up to 18. That's not including helping to pay for college, a car, wedding expenses, home furnishings. All right. And, and that's a lot of money. Y- yeah, it is. Uh, let's talk about some other things that cost $250,000 that are probably more relatable. Okay. So in that same 18 years it takes to raise a kid, a typical married couple is also going to drop about $250,000 on housing expenses. Yeah, from a strictly financial point of view then, not having a child buys 18 years <laughs> of free housing. $250,000 also buys a lifetime of vacations to Hawaii. Yeah, or a lifetime of Honda Accords. (laughs) Dream big, Michael. So where does all that money go? Well, as many parents can tell you, childcare is a huge expense. Yeah, I remember being raised in part by one of my mom's coworkers moms and I got to learn Spanish, agua. That was my first word. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Si. Gatitos. Los perritos juegan en la playa. Uh, Yes. Clearly a good investment in your education. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) And dropping you off there every day also helped your parents save upwards of $1,000 a month on child care, which is the average cost in the U.S. now. That's $12,000 a year. Yeah, no kidding. And then imagine doubling that or even tripling that if you have more than one child. Yeah, and then you got to feed them. Yeah, which is the the case in my household. Uh, Kids eat a lot. Well, they need the food to grow, Michael, or else they'll be children forever, like human Pomeranians. Oh, my God. I don't even know what a human Pomeranian is, but... It's a cute little dog. looks like a puppy (laughs) Okay, yeah. Anyway, another big expense is schooling. Uh, Even after kids don't need as much child care, many parents pay big money on private education. And why private education? I went to a public school from kindergarten through grad school. So my parents barely paid anything for me. Yes, but a lot of parents believe that private schools provide more value. And what do you think? You sending your kids to private school? No, we're not actually. They're they're in public school. We still feel like our kids are going to the public schools are going to be great kids. Yeah, and they might be better students too. All right, what do you mean by that? A couple researchers at the University of Illinois, Chris and Sarah Lubienski, 
these uh, researchers compared public and private education in a giant study back in 2013. 15,000 schools, 300,000 students, a huge sample by any reasonable standard. And they found that going to a public school actually predicted higher math ability once you control for parents' wealth and educational background. So why do we think that private schools are so much better? Well, it's that, the important part there, that controlling for parents' background. Okay. So wealthier and more educated parents also more likely to send their kids to private schools and have kids that are good students. But the argument is that those kids may have been even better off by going to a public school. Yes, uh, a major predictor of children's educational success is how involved their parents are. I remember actually my mom staying up with me multiple nights to midnight or one in the morning, literally pulling her hair out, trying to help me with my math assignments. Yeah, I got like similar (laughs) memories. I remember sitting at dining table, my dad quizzing me in algebra when I'm like six. He says, okay, one elephant plus one elephant is how many elephants? And two elephants. Yeah, great. (laughs) Now one X plus two X, how many X? Uh, and my little head would explode. I just oh, I couldn't handle it. And I promise you, like, we do that with our little guys, too. So even if we call <laughs> call it a wash, private schools aren't necessarily better than public schools. We still have to think about their costs. Absolutely. Private elementary school tuition costs an average of $8,000 per year per child. And private high school, over 13000 a year. Yeah. Now, despite what we may think, there are folks who believe in the value of private schools and the social capital that comes from them, uh, we're not knocking that at all. This mad dash to get into certain private schools or coveted school districts has another unintended consequence. I don't know exactly where you're going with this. It raises the cost of living in those areas. Which ultimately adds to the cost of raising a child. Man, growing up, I knew my mom would have wanted us to live in a better neighborhood or to have gone to a better school, but there was no way she could afford our rent going from, say, $700 a month to $1,000 a month. Right. It's not just about the direct costs of raising a child. No. And unfortunately, this is a dilemma many families are facing every day. Uh, child care, food, education. These are probably some of the, the, the bigger expenses, but you've also got to include extracurricular activities, uh, buying clothes and shoes. Uh, the list goes on. Yeah. And to the extent you can, try to work with other parents to pool those resources or utilize hand-me-downs. Yeah, uh, other people are going through the same thing you are. One of our grad students, Timmy Jorgensen, came up with this great idea of a babysitting (laughs) co-op. Here's how this works. She got together about five sets of parents, and every week, one set of parents takes a turn babysitting all those kids at once. Which I, I'm sure is a good time. We'd probably live it at to three. <laughs> like we'd have yeah. like three parents. So, you, you know, you figure it out for yourself what your own <laughs> limit is. Okay, so the one does all the babysitting, you know, for all the kids. And then the remaining parents, everybody else gets the night off and gets like the free date night. And then next week it's someone else's turn. It rotates. And all of this is free? Yeah, exactly. No babysitting expenses for those Friday nights for anybody. Yeah. And another thing is you can also pull other resources with parents uh, like cribs, strollers, clothing, all that stuff. Yeah. And the hand-me-downs can save quite a lot. And here's a secret for new parents. Infants don't care what they're wearing. (laughs) That they don't at all. And I think some people feel uh, there's a stigma. Like, if I don't buy my kids the new stroller, it means I'm not a good mother. Uh, People know I think they can go to Goodwill, but maybe doing that means I can't provide for my kids. This is all easy for me to say because I don't even have kids. But you and I both wore the hand-me-downs, and I rocked the Payless shoes for a decade. And that meant my parents could save money and then do more with me and my brother. 
they could spend money on things that brought more joy to the relationship, right? Exactly, like season passes to Bush Gardens down in Tampa. And you might say, like, well, who can afford that? But those tickets were only like $30 a person for unlimited trips a year. That, that's just one pair of shoes. And on the other side, uh, my family actually held an intervention with my mom because she would buy me buddies. And back where I'm from, those are basically cheap shoes. And the idea was that if I didn't have the best shoes, that kids would pick on me. But because I could play baseball, I didn't get picked on. Right? <laughs> but every, I could hoop. Good for right? you. <laughs> so everyone didn't have that little luxury. I was the kid with the Coke bottle glasses <laughs> and the braces. I picked on myself. It was terrible. <laughs> that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> so, But raising children isn't just about the money, right? No, it's not just about the money. And we talked about that last month in our episode on Money and Happiness. By the way, if you haven't listened to it yet, you can find it on nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Great timing for a plug. Oh, I do what I can. <laughs> My wife and I fantasize from time to time about how much more stuff we would have if we didn't have children. But... At the end of the day, we still wouldn't change a thing. All we're saying is, if you want a family, know what you're getting yourself into and plan for that future. So given how much they cost you, you letting your boys know they're supporting you in your old age? You know what? Ashley and I are actually keeping a running tab as we speak. (laughs) I'm being serious. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) So what are you guys doing now to ensure that they've got the, the money habits? Honestly, it goes back to thinking about my my own childhood experiences with money. Oh, do tell. Yeah. uh, There was this one time I was seven or eight. My mom and dad decided to let me earn an allowance. So I did all my chores for a week and begged to go to the store, the toy store, as soon as I got paid. What happened at the store? Yeah. So we we go into the store. I look around for about 20 minutes or so. But there's, there's one issue. The one toy that I really wanted was the toy that I couldn't afford. Hmm. Yeah, so we, I tried to bargain with my mom, and I was like, hey, can you give me half of that, and I'll pay for the other half? And what she said. And she was just like, no. No. Yeah, no. It's, it's not happening. And it, Brutal. It, it, yeah, honestly. And uh, it even got to the point where I was pulling out the crocodile tears, and as you know, the other shoppers were walking by, I would kind of get louder in my request, yeah. hoping that I could shame my mom into getting this thing. Sure. And you, you knew you were like intentional about this. I was, I was very intentional okay. about what, it. it what, did she, what did she do then? Yeah, she didn't do anything. She basically just told me <laughs> Dragged you that, home. that if I wanted that toy, we would leave the store and I'd have to work another week to earn the money that I needed for that toy. Yeah. Yeah, in a and week, that's like forever to a seven-year-old. It, it is it is a lifetime, honestly. And I ultimately decided to say, you know what? I'm just going to buy this toy that I really don't want because I didn't want to work another week for it, and I did that. Mm. Yeah, I've got an almost identical experience. It's actually eerie. Okay. We, we went to the store, me and my brother, my, my parents, and they said, we, we'll buy you something, but it's got to be less than like $5. This okay. is the limit, something like that. And my brother found some little like micro machines or something that was really cool. And I still remember vividly. It was so we were big into Transformers, and this was like a micro machine Transformer. And it's like really cool. It's like a robot car thing. I can see it in your eyes right now. I know. I still remember. It was a cool toy. (laughs) You're there. It was a cool toy. And uh, and then I'm looking around to try to find something like equally cool. I couldn't find anything. But rather than just saying, ah, I'm good, I don't want it. I found some like plastic fire truck thing and went, it's like, okay, I'll just settle for this. Yep. And I, so I, I 
had them buy it for me, and it was like whatever, four dollars or something. And it took it home, and I immediately regretted the decision. Yep. Immediately. Yep. And then I had that stupid fire truck sitting on my shelf when I was growing up, and it was like this reminder <laughs> for me. And I don't know how intentional I was being about this, but it was like a reminder. I'm don't, never doing that again. Yeah, don't <laughs> buy crap you don't want. Don't waste your Absolutely. money on these things. And I like literally every day I would see this thing. You even telling that story makes me feel what I felt when I brought that toy home after going to the toy. I played with it for a day and just put it away because I was just disgusted by the fact that I didn't have what I really wanted. And that still, yeah. that still sticks with me. That's my money story, and we share that money story. Right, and it's uh, screwed us up forever. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, so these, these early experiences as kids, they shape us for the rest of our lives, and we, we both have these stories. And it's not just the experiences that we, we kind of give ourselves. We model in large part off of what our parents are doing, what our peers are doing. Absolutely. And that idea of these other people influencing us at, with our money attitudes is something we call financial socialization. Yeah. And that's why we invited a special guest to join us for today's show, financial planning PhD student Kimberly Watkins. Yes, you don't want to miss this. We will have that interview after our break. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money on WUGA Athens. 91.7 and 94.5 FM. I'm Matt Gorin. And this is Michael Thomas. Visit us on campus at the Aspire Clinic. Or online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Hey kids, I'm Bucky the cartoon character. Let's talk about spending money. Anybody here like candy? How about big old shiny toys? Boy howdy! Did y'all watch that nice old television advertisement my employer recently aired during the Saturday morning cartoons? Boy, that's just super! We played on your fears of rejection while simultaneously arming you with the persuasive appeals necessary to separate your parents from their money. Anybody want some light-up shoes? Make sure to let mommy and daddy know. If they don't buy you the most expensive brand of merchandise, they don't love you. Now who wants to go watch a movie sequel? All right, let's go. Is this who you really want giving your kids financial advice? Because that's where they're getting it from. The cartoons, TV, their friends. Absolutely. Music. Yeah. It's, it's coming from everywhere, honestly. Right. But we think it should be coming from you. And to help give some concrete advice on how parents can talk to their kids about money, we've got our special guest, Kimberly Watkins. Yeah, and uh, Kimberly Watkins is, again, a PhD student here at the University of Georgia. But more specifically, she has a very sincere and heartfelt interest in childhood financial socialization. And Michael had the great privilege of speaking with Kim last week while I was teaching. Bummer. So while I sit this out, let's hear what Kim has to say. So, Kim, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Michael. <laughs> I'm doing too much. Am I? <laughs> yeah. Really? I appreciate it. <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael. So speaking of childhood and childhood experiences, mm -hmm. this, this financial socialization stuff, so why is this something that we should be focusing more on? Almost every single thing requires that we have money for it. And, yeah, money's not this 
very sexy topic to engage in. And you know, I, I get it, but it's needed for a lot of things that we want to do that we do find to be enjoyable and fun. And so when we're not talking about money with our kids, we are setting them up for some disappointments <laughs> later on down the road. And um, so it's very important that we start modeling the type of positive financial management behaviors to them early on so that they can see, oh, okay, this is how I'm supposed to do this versus graduating, getting the first job and not knowing how to even pay a bill or <laughs> come up with a spending Kim. plan. That's not the time when you want them to figure it how out. About, how, how about this? We're going to sign off on this financial aid award package. Okay. <laughs> None of us have actually looked at it. None. We just no want one. to go there. Yeah. We don't really understand the long-term implications of nope. paying what it may be right. at a private institution somewhere. Mm-hmm. We just know that this is where I want to be. We're going to make it work. The Parent Plus loan, all of it. All of it. Take every single dime of it, right? Let's be real. We do this. And then we forget, oh, we have to pay it back? Exactly. interest? (laughs) What do you mean there's interest? What's this thing, interest? (laughs) That refund check you got from financial aid office, that's not free money. Right. That wasn't my gift for coming here? (laughs) If if nothing else, like that should be a topic of conversation, which we will touch on a little bit later. No, that's definitely important, Michael. All of the above. (laughs) It's so important. So, I mean, a lot of us have gone through the trial by fire in terms of learning about our finances because it's not something that we talk about growing up or parents have the expectation that their kids are learning about it in school and not knowing that, hey, even if your state has policy put in place that financial literacy should be taught, you don't know when it's taught and if you don't know what's being taught as well, too. And a lot of educators sometimes aren't very comfortable talking about personal finance as well, too, as this is something they are struggling with. So it's very commonplace for everyone to have these feelings of anxiety around money. Um, So kind of accept that and then let's find a plan to move forward and start having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, the modeling. Do as I say, yeah, not as, as I, I do. do. How how big is this modeling piece, Kim? <laughs> it's the most important thing because our kids learn everything from us. The most scary moment I had was actually a few weeks ago when I um, was feeding my children. And my I started laughing at my daughter for something that she had done that was so silly. And I put my hand on my chest and I threw my head back and I started laughing. What does she do? She takes her hand, she puts it on her chest, she throws her head back, and she starts laughing too. And I'm like, <laughs> and I, I know these things in terms of they're looking at us and they're learning from us and everything, but it was just in that moment, it was like it became so real Aware. that she was doing what I was doing. So I, it's, it's not going to matter what I say to her if I don't uh, walk the talk, basically, you yeah. know, walk that walk. Um, so, yes, everything that we do, they are watching. Whether we're talking about it or not, they see us. Yep. <laughs> and we, I do not want to be a hypocrite <laughs> to anyone, especially not my children. So it's very important that when we are taking these moments, that we're being explicit as possible um, with them. And if we falter as well, too, let them know that. Like, you know, m- mom, dad, we're human beings. We're not perfect. Um, so, you know, just be honest with them when you do have those moments where hypocrisy may seep in <laughs> and just let them know. But it's very important that you your actions do match your words. That's adage still reigns true today. So. And I, I know this is going to sound horrible, but Tristan, my oldest, he calls me on my hypocrisies all, all the, the time. time. Very good. Oh, my goodness. He is my little record keeper. Uh, he keeps score. He's like, Papa, didn't you say you were going to eat those brownies? Uh, yes, I said I was in a diet. You're supposed to hide, Michael. I'm not supposed to see you. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So you mentioned that you have twins, right? Yes, so, right. I don't know, in the first half of this segment, we were talking about expenses. Yeah. And, you know, I did this process one at a time, mm-hmm. right? You're doing this two simultaneously. Surprise. 
<laughs> through the process. So, you know, one of the biggest expenses that Matt and I have been talking about is the fact that not having a conversation mm-hmm. about money has long-term implications, not just for your children, but even generationally. Yeah. What would you say would be some of the just really basic financial type lessons or values that you would like to impart on them at an early age? Or is it too early to have that conversation? See, I think it's interesting um, because actually a month ago I would have been in like, they're too young to even understand this. But actually that's not true. Um, There's some, going back to the soft skills or maybe just characteristics of individuals. So we're currently reading a discipline book because we are into the emerging toddler stage, the terrible twos. (laughs) Have fun with that. Right, they're coming. And so we're trying to prepare ourselves for that. And one of the things that my husband um, has read in the book that we're going through right now is impulse control. And that's Mm. a big issue for young children. And so something we can do now is delaying gratification for them. So when we are giving them something, they've made the request for something and we're like, okay, we just make them wait a little longer. So it's like mm. each each time you just add on a second you're, you're and a building, second. Yeah. And so they're up. building up that patience. In addition to that, conscientiousness is also associated with positive financial outcomes as well too. So manners, even if I didn't know that, manners is going to be a big thing for me because I am a Southern girl through and through. <laughs> so you will say please and you will say thank you. But um, whenever they do ask for something, making them be conscious of the fact that somebody is doing something for you mm. and you can show your gratitude. Um, So we're helping to build up those two characteristics right now, even though their um, verbal abilities are very limited. Yep. These are things that they understand. And so I think it's building some of those characteristics up at this stage in life is what's really important and what will set them up for later on. So in other words, you're saying that developing these core values Mm -hmm. or having a value system has huge implications on financial well-being. Yes. Yeah. So you don't even have to necessarily say money. Yeah. You can just be working on these values Values. Mm -hmm. that tie in. Love it. Right. So that being said, and we're about to, you know, wrap up here in a sec. If there, if there was a bit of advice to all of our hundreds of millions of listeners, Chris, I know you're laughing. We have to speak this into existence. <laughs> what advice would you give to our families that are listening right now? So just one piece of advice, huh? <laughs> so, you know, well, when a, you write the book, we'll bring you back the and they can get everything. <laughs> All right, Chris, we're, we're you're going to be ready up. for the book? All right. Um, you know, I am a huge fan of vulnerability. Yep. And so I, you know, I've said this earlier before. Letting your children see you as humans is very important because we are all walking around feeling like we are alone in many of the things that we do, the amount of shame that we carry for things that we do in this in our everyday lives. It's just we think we're the only person who's doing that. And mm-hmm. it's because we don't talk to other people about it as well. And, and we don't know that all of us are going through some struggle in life. And so just letting them see you struggle with whatever you're going through. You presently struggle with this thing, but together we can get to our desired outcome. It's just so important. So be open, be honest with them, and let them know that this is just a season right now and we'll all get through it. Love it. It's it's where you are. It's not who you are. Exactly. Love it. Kim, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Michael. This was awesome. It was. It's all right, fun. can I can I hell now? Oh, oh, God. <laughs> I'm right, gonna hell down. All right, to one you. quick thing. Ted Talk. Money dogs. Money dogs. 
Can you give me something quick about Money Dogs? Is there something you have on Money Dogs that you'd like to share? Uh, yeah. So hopefully next year, if your kid's not signed up for the camp, because from my understanding, it's full now. It so full. it's great. But Money Dogs is a wonderful opportunity for those parents who do want their children to learn about money to and learn in a fun and engaging way. Everything that we do is game-based, and we are always focused on how to make this these activities fun so that the kids will learn. Because we do understand. We have had some kids <laughs> who've come in like, ick, money. Ugh, what's the, who wants to talk about that? <laughs> but fortunately, we were able to transform them by the end of camp, and they understand. Which is pretty impressive. Which is, I, I know, I, you know, we have to pat ourselves on the back for them. <laughs> We've had some uh, real big doubters in the past. But it's just such a fun way to learn about such a topic that creates a lot of anxiety for people. So if parents are looking for an avenue to, you know, send their kids so they can learn about personal finance, this is a really great way to do it. We have so much fun, and there's so many great activities that we do during the week as well. So, right. yeah. so in other words, if you don't want to have the conversation, send them to camp. <laughs> and Michael and we'll Nola will all be there. We'll do it. We'll, we'll watch them. We'll, we'll have the, we'll have have the, the conversations you don't want to have right. <laughs> and have fun while doing it. Right. All right, Kim, again, thank you very much. We thank appreciate you, Michael. You. So good. I know, right? So good. We've got the whole interview up on the website. And during that same session, Michael also spoke with another PhD student, Morgan Bryant. She'll be on next month's episode as we continue the discussion of money and kids. Yes, yes. Looking forward to it. You know what blows my mind? What's that? We've got these people we're working with, literally their office is right next to yours. And they study what we're talking about. They publish in the top journals. Yes, right here in Athens, we do have one of the top-ranked academic programs for consumer economics and financial planning. Yeah, and all I contribute are silly stories from my childhood. <laughs> what? It's, it's humbling. That's all I'm saying. Well, those stories from childhood must have set you up very well. See, you're a living, breathing example of the importance of financial socialization. That's, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> So let's get to some practical advice here. How can parents instill positive money habits in their children? Okay, the big picture, as we talk about so many times in the show, is be open, be honest. Talk to your kids about finance in ways that make sense for whatever age Absolutely. they are. Yes, demystify money and make it fun. And one of the neat, I read an article not too long ago from Warren Buffett, and uh, the reporter asked him, you know, what is one of the best things that you found that you can give give your kids? And he basically said it was unconditional love, hmm. right? He said that there was no amount of money that I could give my kids that would replace the value of coming from a caring, nurturing, warm environment. And I thought that was incredibly powerful because we can all give that, right? right. We, all, we all have the capacity to do that. Right. So that, that's a big one. Yeah, I think so people who are in households where money is tight, they might be feeling like I'm failing as a parent. I'm not a good provider. But anybody can be a good provider when we step back and realize it's the relationship. It's how you're talking to your kids and relating to them. That's what matters more to them. It's not the, the toys. It's not the Xbox. It's, it's huge. And beyond that, you know, in terms of having this conversation about money, uh, it's it's not necessarily what we say, right? It's it's what we do. Our kids are going to model our behaviors. They're they're going to listen to us, but they're going to model. And the stronger that relationship that we have with them actually helps in having these conversations. It helps in them actually wanting to model the the example that we're trying to provide. Right. For and, them. and one of these things that to model is that money isn't the be all end all. It's not. 
money is not the thing that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, money doesn't buy the the love that you have for each other. It doesn't. So if you're acting in a way where things aren't going great with money, you don't need to hide that, pretend like things are going well, Absolutely. buying the kids a bunch of expensive gifts because that's they not, really that, need that. Yeah, that's not necessarily what you connect to. And you know, there was, there was a study that came out, and I, and I can't pinpoint it right now. It just came to mind. But it's this whole idea that parents are, they feel guilty, right? So they feel so guilty that they're trying to compensate for the lack of time that they spend with their kids with money-related things, which kind of ties back into that concept that you were bringing up in terms of money doesn't buy love, right? Sure, but then what they're modeling is that the money does does buy buy love, love, right? And then there's that impact later on. We've got so much more to say about money and finances and kids that we're going to do this over two episodes. Yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg, and we're going to dig into a lot more on the topic of money and kids on next month's episode. Is that it for now? Yep. And thanks again to our listeners. You want to reach out? Do it. Visit us at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org or aspireclinic.org. Great. And a special thanks to our guest, Kimberly Watkins. And as always, we want to thank our executive producer, Chris Shoup, audio engineer, Garrett Burke, and our content editor, Sam Stevens. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. This program is made possible by the College of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Georgia in cooperation with WUGA. For more information about our program, visit us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Or need help? Get it! Visit us on campus at the Aspire Clinic. Thanks for listening. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.